O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous, and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Those are verses 10 through 12 of Psalm 97, which along with Psalm 99 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, June the 22nd, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate that very much. And so we are still in 1 Samuel, the book of Acts, and the gospel according to Luke. So in the 1 Samuel lesson, remember what's happened here is that the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, and they've had it in their possession. And and it didn't go well for them to have that Ark in their possession, because what happened was is that that they continued to have... um, tumors (laughs) tumors <laughs> break out wherever the ark went there was a, a breakout of these tumors whether they're bubonic plague or something else like hemorrhoids we're not really sure but at any rate it continues to be this way and they've decided now we got to get this thing out of here it, it, it's not a great thing to have captured their ark it's it's not helping us in the least in fact they're winning by us owning the ark and so they decide to give it back right so it's been there seven months they call for their priests and their diviners and say what should we do with the ark of the lord tell us what we shall send it tell us with what we shall send it to its place remember the ark is carried it's carried with poles that are specially made for that purpose it's got rings on the side of it you slide the pole into the rings somebody gets in front and back on two sides and they carry the ark so they want to know how to send this thing back. We don't want to touch it. What are we supposed to do with it? And they said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, don't send it empty. But by all means, return him a guilt offering. Then you'll be healed. It'll be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. So if you do this, if you if you give him what he needs, which is the guilt offering, and, and they have no earthly idea what the guilt offering is, and he's, they, the diviners and the priests say, if you do that, then, then it, you'll get healed, and then you'll know why his hand doesn't turn away from you now. And so they said, what's the guilt offering we shall return to him? And they answered five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and all your lords. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. And so that's the reason, that little part right there is the reason that people believe this was a bubonic plague very early on. (laughs) Because, I mean, we don't even hear about the bubonic plague for much, much later than this. But it's they're plagued with rats and tumors. Well, rats and tumors tend to indicate bubonic plague. So that's the reason people have kind of landed on that. And it's perhaps if you do that and give glory to the God of Israel, maybe he'll lighten his hand off you and your gods and your land. Why not just worship him, right? I mean, why not, why not just turn to him? But no, you had to have your own gods. You couldn't accept somebody else's gods. So you keep your gods, even though they've been exposed as nothing at all. And this, why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, didn't they send the people away and they departed? Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows, on which there's never come a yoke, and yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home away from them. So what the plan here is, what they're going to tell them to do, is is that if we take, if you take the 
calves over there, and these are milk cows, so they're giving milk. In other words, the, their calves are still, you know, weaning or not weaned. So what you've got is they said take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart, put it in a box, put in a box at its side the figures of gold, and then send it off and let it go and watch. Let it let it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it's not his hand that struck us. It happened by coincidence. And so what they're trying to do is, is, is that are they going to, are these milk cows, which never had a yoke on them before in their whole lives, so they haven't been trained to do anything under a yoke. So what they're saying is, is that, that try it this way. Put them under the yoke, yoke them to the cart, put their calves somewhere else, and see if they go to Beth Shemesh or if they return to their calves. And so they did so, and they yoked them to the cart and shut up their calves at home, and they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of the tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the left or the right, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh, which is Israel. And so the people were there reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And then when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. So the people are thrilled beyond belief to have the ark back. And so they, they sacrificed the cattle on it, which had borne the load of the ark as they brought it back. But And can you imagine what what it looked like when they opened that box and they found five golden tumors and five golden mice? I mean, that had to be a head-scratcher, right? I mean, there's just no way around it. They had to look at that thing. What in the world is this stuff? And and you'd love to know what actually happened to those things in the end, right? I mean, what they do with those things? They melt them down and do something else with them? Or, it, it, or was it like the keepsake for the people of Beth Shemesh forever? It's just odd. But, but ultimately, the ark makes its way home, which is what God wanted it to do anyway. And it never should have been in battle therefore it never should have been captured by the philistines it should never have left the house of god and so now the point is how are we going to get this thing back and so in the gospel lesson today what we've got is this is the last week of jesus's life this is after the triumphal entry on palm sunday and all that and so what we're told is by luke every day he was teaching in the temple but at night he came and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And so for Passover and other feasts like that, they extended the boundaries of Jerusalem all the way out to the Mount of Olives. And, and so the uh, charge was to be in Jerusalem, to reside in Jerusalem during the festival. And so they expanded the boundaries of Jerusalem to include places like the Mount of Olives because there were so many people there and they didn't have enough rooms. And we know that because we remember how what happened when Jesus was born, right? There were, when people made their pilgrimages back to their ancestral homeland, there wasn't enough room for everybody. And so it, that's even true here in Jerusalem. And so Jesus and the disciples are basically camping out at the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. So he spends the day in the city at the temple and then goes out 
to the Mount of Olives with the disciples every night. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeing how to put it, seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Well, why do they have to put him to death? Because they feared the people. Because, well, if you cut the head off, then they'll scatter, is the idea. They'll give up on this sooner rather than later if we put him to death. And then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot. And he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he could betray them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him in the absence of a crowd. They feared the people. They knew they couldn't take him in the middle of the day. They couldn't take Jesus away and charge him with crimes in the middle of the day while everybody was around. They wouldn't be allowed to do it. And so what they needed was somebody who knew where he was in a private moment so that they could then come and take him away outside the, the vision of the crowds that were adoring him. And then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, where are we going to do that? <laughs> he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So it's a it's a male servant who is carrying the water. It wouldn't it. it you think initially, well, wouldn't be wouldn't there be a lot of men carrying water? Well, typically, no. It would be women carrying the water um, because they're the ones who did those sorts of chores. And so this is a uh, a person who who has a home but has a male servant instead of a wife or a female servant. So it's a wealthy-ish person because they they have this servant. And we know that because you enter the house following the man carrying the water jar, and then they speak to the master of the house. And and receive permission to come to this place. He had to have known, when it says the teacher, they had to have known who that was. The person had to know, this is Jesus, who is coming here. And, and what an honor you'd have the rest of your life to be able to say that that upper room, that that was my room. And I'm the one who gave the place for them to have this. And so Jesus knows all these things. He speaks prophetically by telling them exactly what they're going to see when they come into the town and exactly what they're supposed to do about that and how things are going to go. And so that's exactly what happens is that, that they come into the town, they see this man, they follow him into the house, they tell the master that the teacher has need of this place, and the guy says, fine, go ahead. And so they begin to do that. And so Jesus knew these things, and but did... You know, wouldn't that have authenticated him even more in the eyes of the disciples who still didn't believe that he was going to be taken and he was going to be crucified? It's a, an amazing idea that he knows all these kinds of odd little details, and yet they're still not sure. They don't believe what he has to say about what will happen to him during this Passover. And, and it's understandable so, because it would be difficult to conceive after seeing what they see and seeing the crowds that are around, it would be difficult to conceive that, that indeed he was going to be arrested, tried, and hung on the tree, on the, on the, uh, crucified on the cross. And so it, it's, how much do we trust? How much do we believe? What, 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 what do, we, do we just hear what we want to hear? Do we just believe the things that bless us? Or do we actually hear other things as well? And so with the disciples, we're going to see that in this Acts lesson. Because it ends with this, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer dishonor 
for the name. You know, that, that's the thing. These men were completely changed. They were not willing to suffer at all until after the resurrection, after they had seen that the suffering of this life actually, they, they believed in the resurrection. We know that they did. Um, they, were, they were not Sadducees, so they believed in the resurrection. But there's a difference in believing something and then believing it after you've seen it. And so that's the disciples were changed dramatically. They were completely different men. They were willing to suffer in ways that they weren't willing to suffer even on the night that Jesus was handed over to be crucified, right? So <clears throat> what we get here is is that, remember, they've, they've gotten into trouble. They've been thrown in jail, and then they, the Lord let them out of jail and told them, go back into the temple and, and preach again. And so that's where the council found them when they wanted to try them. And so they had them brought to them. And they sat them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. In other words, everybody is listening to you, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. That's quite an ironic statement, because the answer is yes. I'd like to bring this man's blood upon you, but not the way you think, not for your guilt, but for your forgiveness, for your salvation. Because the blood of Jesus is what you need to be have brought upon you in order that you can be forgiven and stand before the throne of grace with confidence. It's this man's blood that's important to have brought on you. But they think what they're saying is you're trying to charge us with a crime and, and you're trying to make us guilty of this. And, and their response is essentially you are guilty of that. But you need this. So Peter... And the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. I mean, they don't run from the reality that the curse is supposed to fall on anyone who is killed by hanging them on a tree. They don't run from that, no. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God gives to those who obey him. This guy that, that they're lecturing here is the, is the high priest. If anybody in Israel is supposed to have the Holy Spirit to do his job, it's going to be the high priest. And Peter says he's given it out freely to everybody who believes. And that flies in the face of every bit of Jewish theology before Messiah comes. And so if, if God's pouring out his spirit on all flesh, then Messiah has come, and it's clear what Peter's claim here is. And these guys have told him, no, we're not going to do this. And, and he says, begins this whole thing by saying, we must obey God rather than men. You're just a man. You don't have God's ear. We're listening to God. You're not, high priest. I mean, it's a powerful statement that Peter, Peter's making here, I mean, he is accusing them of the worst possible things, and he is setting himself up as an equal or more than the high priest. It's an amazing thing that he stands there now and says these things. I mean, it's just beyond belief that the man Peter, who, who refused to even acknowledge that he was a follower of Jesus to the slave girl of the high priest, now is speaking this way. To this man, and when they heard it, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. I'll bet, honestly. I mean, what what Peter's just said, like I said, it's beyond belief. It's offensive in the extreme that he's lecturing the high priest in this way and saying, "We have the Holy Spirit, and you don't. You're just a man." But a Pharisee in the council called Gamaliel, or Gamaliel, is the way the 
that it's pronounced in Hebrew. A teacher of the law, held in honor by the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you do about these men. And then he goes on to recite some examples of those who had come forward and people followed them. And then they died and they just scattered. So he said, hey, just don't even worry about it. Look at it. I, t- I keep... Keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is a man, it'll fail. But if it's of God, you won't be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. I mean, they scourged these guys. And that's when it says they counted, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. These men believed. They believed in a different way. They had seen with their eyes the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so they no longer just believed that he was the Messiah. They believed that he was Christ and he was also God. And he was the one who was raised up by God. And, and in his name, they were willing to endure whatever was thrown at them. Their fear was gone. They, they didn't fear the people. They didn't fear the high priests. They didn't fear anybody. They saw that everything had been turned on his head. And the people who were afraid now were the ones who had done this. And so they didn't fear man anymore. They only feared God. And that's who we're supposed to be.